What do you know about Halloween? <gasps> First, the Halloween tree. What Ray Bradbury calls one of the finest productions of my works I have ever seen. This full-length feature is now available for the new low price of just $14.98 or less. Ha-ha, very funny. Really? Just $14.98? Follow the adventures of five ordinary kids on an extraordinary Halloween night they'll never forget as they travel through space, across time, and around the world to unravel the history and mystery of Halloween. Anything's possible on Halloween. Parents' Choice, Emmy, and Film Advisory Board Award winner. As an extra treat, it comes with a special bonus cartoon. Plus, while supplies last, you can get this free book with your purchase. Greetings, foolish mortals. Halloween from the Haunted Davenport podcast. We are a retro horror and sci-fi television podcast. My name is Allison, and with me are my co-hosts Andy. Hello. And Drew. Uh, I'm the husband. Yeah. <laughs> are we still doing the family relations? I don't know. Are we used to? We've <laughs> no, all been demoted to just co-host now. Co-host. I don't know. I. <laughs> I started to demoted or promoted. Oh, <laughs> uh, when it's just family, it's like it's like well, they had to come along. I have to hang out with these people, <laughs> pretend that I like them. Yeah, no. Dad if, said I had to hang out with my brother today. So, <laughs> if you're new, if you're a new listener, and welcome. If you are, we are all related in one way or another by marriage or blood or happenstance. <laughs> Anyway, we... Um, Was it happenstance that we got married? Sure. <laughs> A happy coincidence. Oh. We're bringing you, for the Halloween season, we're bringing you two sort of shorter kind of mini episodes this season. We're going to, this is part one of two, where we're going to talk about the animated 1993 made-for-television movie, The Halloween Tree. And part two, which will be the next episode, we're going to talk about The Midnight Hour, which was a made-for-TV movie from 1985. And we picked these movies because they're both just perfect for this time of year. They embody the atmosphere and the emotions of the season. They deal with matters of facing mortality. You have groups of friends running around autumnal, idyllic towns at night. So it's just kind of the perfect watches for this time of year, we think. They're, they're Halloween movies that give you like Halloween, uh, what is it? Stenesthesia? Synesthesia? Synesthesia. Mm-hmm. It's like you can, you can taste the apple pie while watching this movie and like feel the crisp in the air. You know, yeah, you can't, you, you, you can hear leaves yeah. crinkling and yeah, it gives, you, it gives you, it gives you the perfect little tingles and buzzes. This, this along, I mean, there's many other things out there that we'll probably talk about towards the end of this that we would also recommend that give you the same great 
fall feeling. But. I, yeah, I was going to say, um, I got big, big similar vibes from when we did the Pete and Pete episode yeah. uh, on Halloween. Very, very similar stuff here. So if you liked that, you're going to love this. Yeah, which is that was our, our 2018 Halloween special special episode, which if you haven't heard, that's a really good one. That was when Chris was still with us and we had our special guest, Nathan Toll, who wrote the book Pumpkin Cinema. And our good friends over at the Retro Movie Geek podcasts are currently covering films from the Pumpkin Cinema book for their 2022 Spooky Flicks Fest. And I highly recommend checking that out. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Drew and I actually did a little mini segment for that, if you want to check that out as well. And we talked about The Worst Witch, which is a really cute made-for-TV Witch Academy for kids movie starring Faroutza Balk and Tim Curry and Diana Riggs. So if you're interested in that, that sounds fun. Definitely go over and check out Spooky Flicks Fest. And I recommend checking out the entire thing. And if you like that one, they have multiple years back where they've been doing this. Last year it was all vampires. And Drew and I have been guests for that, I think, a couple different times. Yeah, because we so. did uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula yeah, last year. And that was the so fun. the previous year before that, we did Ginger Snaps. yeah. Yeah, there's actually, I highly recommend checking out the vampire series from last year, too. There's an episode where a podcaster that we really like, Jay of the Dead, talks about taking his LDS friends to go see From Dusk Till Dawn, and nobody knew what they were in for. (laughs) Wow. So, lots of good times to be had over at Spooky Flicks Fest. Mormons and vampires. (laughs) Are they related? No. (laughs) (laughs) anyway we should start uh getting into um this really beautifully animated nostalgic gem of halloween known as the halloween tree and i'm gonna let andy give us a synopsis and introduce us to this awesome movie sure so this movie is about four friends and uh what I can only describe as a gleeful personification of death as they travel through time and location and look at the various histories of Halloween and the Harvest Festival, which I believe is Samhain um, or Samhain. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but a just a glorious little animated adventure story about learning about history and trying to save your friend from the Grim Reaper. So classic Halloween stuff. Yeah, it's kind of action adventure. Definitely. But also history lesson. It's kind of. It's not a hundred percent like it's not super accurate. <laughs> yeah. But, you know. Well No, it's 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 broad strokes accurate. Yeah. Right, right. It's not it's not spreading mistruths, it's just some of the details on what culture celebrates what is a little bit fuzzy, but um, this is based on a 1972 novel by Ray Bradbury and Bradbury himself actually narrates this animated version, which is really neat. And um, Mm. uh, Hanna-Barbera produced this. So if you're into animation and especially some kind of some vintage retro animation, you probably are a fan of a lot of Hanna-Barbera's output. Yeah, I, I really like the animation in this, actually. It, it, it was very reminiscent of kind of how gangly everybody in Scooby-Doo appears. Everyone is kind of skeletal yeah. to begin with. Everyone's very lanky, kind of looks a little bit like shaggy in terms of proportions. Um, well, 
I'd also say Scooby Doo wise, there's really beautiful backgrounds in this. And yeah, oh, landscape, yeah. And that was always a hallmark of Scooby Doo. In fact, I actually on Instagram follow an account that's just Scooby Doo backgrounds called Scooby Scapes. So oh, if, if you're <laughs> a fan and you accounts. use Instagram and you just want something soothing and spooky to look at, I recommend checking out Scooby Scapes. Uh, but yeah, it, this, this actually made me wistful for a time when animation was more hand-drawn and you didn't have everything kind of digitally composed. I, there's some great animation out there still. And some people do really beautiful work with digital. However, there's sort of a slickness and a like a perfect symmetry to creature design and characters in today's animation. And then even kind of the goofier cartoon stuff just looks a little bit too round and perfect to me. I don't know. It just, it bothers my eyes. I'm sure some kids are fine with it, but I miss that hand-drawn look. Yeah. They, you just don't see a lot of it because it's, I mean, it's expensive. There's the only TV show I can think of that's still doing it that way is um, the adult swim cartoon, the venture brothers. Um, Mm. And the venture brothers is hand-drawn because the creators are passionate nerds about the art form. Um, But it it, it takes notoriously long for them to get seasons out because it, you know, (laughs) I think they had nine seasons over the course of like 22 years. But that makes it so much more of an art form. It's just... Oh, it's, and it's so gorgeous, yeah. This stuff is kind of com- more computer-guided and generated. Some of it's really nice-looking, but it just feels cranked out, and there's so much of it. And a lot of it starts to look the same, I feel like. It does. There's As an this... adult who's not emotionally invested in some of these new shows and characters. Right, right. But yeah, so I think one of the things that really struck me overall about this and I hadn't seen it in a really long time I remember I actually saw this in junior high and wasn't prepared for it to be as much of a life or death situation and these kids dealing with the possible loss of their dear friend and yeah it's it's heavy in a way that I I haven't watched a lot of like four tweens TV. um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's, you know, this is, this is for like the 10 to 12 to 13 year old kind of age group. Um, And this is, I don't know if things are this dark and this is, I mean, this is classic Bradbury, you know, he, he, he loves toying with these notions about life and death and making it relatable to kids because it's a very, you know, I mean, like kids experience this stuff as much as anybody else does, as much as we don't like to talk about it. Um, Oh yeah. 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 And so I, 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 I think it's great to see these sorts of things portrayed like that, but it's way darker than most other media that's aimed at that age group. Definitely. And I'm not sure how it is nowadays, but I remember even being kind of struck by that as I, I wasn't, I was 13 when this came out, but I would watch anything Halloween and I still liked animation. And I remember watching this and kind of being like, oh, wow, I wasn't quite prepared for where yeah. this was going to go. And I wasn't as familiar with Ray Bradbury yet. Um, I definitely became pretty well acquainted with him later although i've not read the novel for this and i would like to i think it would be a fun fun thing to check out yeah there's there's more kids and there's more uh locations they visit but the the broad strokes are the same so before we get too much further into our discussion i thought we should warn as we usually do we're gonna go full spoilers for the halloween tree and if this is something that you want to listen or want to check out and you don't want spoiled you might want to pause it here and go check out the Halloween tree. We highly recommend it. 
we were able to watch this for free with some ads, although actually it didn't play any ads during the middle of it um, no, on Tubi. For some reason, didn't. yeah, on yeah. on on Tubi TV. Uh, fun fact: if you have an ad blocker in your browser, it doesn't play the ads. So and we don't on our television. Right. Oh, really? We, our, our television. we use it. We watch through our our, Ro- our Roku. Oh, fascinating! And so with Roku, we were able to access Tubi, and uh, it didn't show any ads during it at all. It's, in fact, there was a, halfway through, there was a warning saying ad break will start in five seconds and it started to do a countdown. And then the ad break never happened. I actually did that like five times. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. But we don't have an ad blocker installed on our Roku device. I don't even know if that's possible. How but, interesting. So there may be ads for whoever's out there listening, but you can definitely check that out for free there. Yeah. So one one of the things I wanted to mention just because we were talking about how uh, morbid but not in a bad way uh, macabre I guess um, mm-hmm. this uh, this is is for reference this came out at the same time as Batman the animated series and oh, that wow. Batman the animated series they couldn't even get death out like you couldn't say death in that and here you know you're fighting for the very mortal soul of somebody for most of this thing and it it is a lot more explicit so it's just fascinating i think well and it's also it's an interesting thing with ray bradbury's writing or i haven't read a ton of his of his work but what i have read i really love and in fact his book, um, Something Wicked This Way Comes, is one of my very favorite novels. And there's a pretty, too. pretty decent Disney adaptation. It's It doesn't quite do it justice, although I do really like the Disney adaptation. I think it captures the feel of the novel. But the novel is such just it's beautifully written. It, again, like this, it perfectly encapsulates fall. You have two boys kind of in their coming of age years dealing with this dark influence at this carnival that rolls into town and the carnival is sort of a sinister force and it it's kind of people are making Faustian bargains with the with the leader of the carnival and hmm. this awesome line about how we are the autumn people like it's just it's so it's so interesting and the way things are described are like visually stunning and very disturbing and I think Disney at the time was in their what's known as the dark ages period. And they were kind of experimental. So it's really worth checking out, but there were some scenes that they couldn't include for budget. I kind of think if you could revisit this with a loving detailed hand, you could include some really amazing scenes. Like there's one involving this really creepy hot air balloon. And there's like tattoos that the illustrated man wears. That's like, collected souls that are all over his skin and they come to life and move and oh disney, wow disney couldn't quite do that i highly recommend checking that book out um yeah and i mean bradbury's prose in general is just fantastic i i've, I've read several of his short story collections i've read a couple of his novels and i've never encountered a bradbury story that i didn't like so far yeah good stuff well, and this is this is really interesting because it's almost a love letter to Halloween and the need to celebrate this time of harvest, this time of darkness, the fact that death is a part of life and how it's this cross-cultural phenomenon. So we have four friends on Halloween night and they have their their best friend, uh, Joe Pipkin, who's known as Pip, and they go to his house and he's like 
I think the biggest Halloween fan of all of them. Well, like. He's he, he's like the er little boy. They describe him as being able to uh, yell louder, sing better, and eat more popcorn than anybody else. Right. Yeah. That's important as a kid. <laughs> how much popcorn you can eat. Yeah. There's a, there's a legend that all the soda pop bottles in the world overflowed with fizz on the day he was born. And he, they go to his house and... They see, they witness him, one, his house isn't decorated, which it usually is, and they know something's wrong, and then they see him wheels away into an ambulance, and that's just got to be so traumatizing, and especially to a kid, and so they decide to, they go on a mission to go visit him, and while they're going to visit him, they encounter his spirit disembodied, and they follow it, and they... Well, they don't know it's his spirit at first. They no, they just they, they think they, they think he's playing a prank playing on him. a trick on him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, he's the, like the classic best Halloween prankster, you know. Yeah, well, and this this has one of my favorite lines in this. He's saying, "Is that Pip down there? I I feel like I can see right through him." And then one of the kids says, "No, nah, that's just the sweaty moonlight." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "What?" what? <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Moonlight. Just and the sweaty moonlight. They end up encountering what looks like the quintessential haunted mansion, and they go up to the front door, and they they notice that the door knocker is what I think the little girl dressed like the witch refers to as. Oh, that's a Marley knocker. Yeah, Marley. Knocker. Of Marley in in a Christmas Carol, and she is the only one brave enough to knock knock with the Marley knocker. And this whole house is just sort of enchanted and supernatural. And you find that inside is a man named Mister Moundshroud, who is basically like a Grim Reaper type, and but but mischievous, like death. Yeah, he's he's death. Yeah, and I. I really like this incarnation of death. Mr. Moundtrap, by the way, voiced by Leonard Nimoy. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and it's not an obvious Leonard Nimoy voice. Like, he's definitely doing a character here. Right. Yes. He didn't um, just bone it in. No, but he's, you know, he's he's dressed like Dracula in this old haunted house, and he gives them a business card, and it says time management on it. And I just mm-hmm. I just love that. It's like, this is, this is a grim reaper with a sense of humor. And so, basically... They try to, they're trying to save their friends and he's telling them, you know, that Pip's time is, is coming up and he introduces them to this tree in his backyard and they find Pip in the tree and the tree is full of jack-o'-lanterns that represent different people's souls. And so it's really interesting. It's really eerie. And it also harkens back to an old idea that I believe I don't have the research in front of me and I'm not a Halloween expert as much as I love the holiday, but I believe in <laughs> Ireland, that's where that belief came from because they, that's where the, they used to carve gourds and they, I think that was the belief was that they represented the souls of the dead. And mm-hmm. so that was the Samhain tradition back then. And then I think pumpkins caught on in the U S they were easier to carve because carving a gourd is hard. Carving a gourd. Right. But I remember because Drew and I, we went on our honeymoon. Well, there was like turnips too. They carved yeah. all kinds. They basically just carved faces into things. To the fall produce, you know, Which, the harvest was. But yeah, Drew, Drew and I went on our honeymoon in Ireland and we actually visited a museum that had different placards explaining some of the origins of the jack o' lanterns itself and. Well, and then Will- there's Will-O-Wisp, Will-O-Wisp, who's and- like the 
the boogeyman, mm-hmm. kind of. When there's... He's going to come and get you if you're out late at night. And it has ties to fairy lore and spirits of the dead, and it's just this whole other world that is basically really accessible during this time of the year. And again, throughout this, you're you're exposed to all these different cultures, and they're shown. First, they end up taking off to Egypt, and you see some Egyptian mummification rituals and a feast of the dead happening in a family home. And well, to backtrack just a second, all the kids like dressed up in like what in the very beginning they're all getting ready. The four kids that aren't Pip, and that as they're getting ready, each one comments on their attire as you know this one pip's gonna love like they're all obsessed with pip yeah pip's pip's the guy he is definitely the king of the kids he's their leader he's he's more than a leader he's like worshiped almost (laughs) but yeah so like they're all dressed in different costumes there's uh, a skeleton there's a witch there is a monster. Okay, a gargoyle. And, yeah. Right. And then there's a mummy. And so when they first meet, um, oh, what's his name? Mound Shroud. Mound Shroud. When they first meet Mound Shroud, he's like, you don't even know why you're dressed the way you're dressed. You know? They don't. They don't know the origins of Halloween. And so then after Pip climbs the, or his spirit, I don't think they quite know he's a spirit yet, but mm-hmm. as he climbs the Halloween tree that they don't know the lanterns are souls yet, um, he ex- absconds with his pumpkin that is shaped like his face, um, like Pip's face, and he takes off with it because that's his soul and he's going to save it. And uh, they proceed to follow because they're worried about him getting away and everything. And then Mound Shroud finds... That he can, you know, two birds with one stone, he can educate these little rascals about (laughs) what, you know, Halloween really is and why they're dressed the way they're dressed for Halloween. And then he's also going to have them help him collect Pip's soul. Yeah, he's he's, he's, going to perform some reaping on this kid's Mm -hmm. soul. And and the this character that's voiced by Leonard Nimoy, his full name is pretty interesting. It's it's Carapace. Clavicle Mound Shroud. <laughs> so like a, a bug's shell and a, yeah, a, a, yeah, and a clavicle bone. And a clavicle bone Mound Shroud. It's really interesting and also kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. Basically, dead stuff, dead stuff, dead stuff. Yes. Well, I mean, your clavicle is just part of your body, but it is a bone. Right. Carapace can be part of a live insect as well. But yeah, but one. yeah, no, it's definitely like creepy, crawly variety and it's it's a big pompous name to seem grand in front of the children Mm -hmm. on his business card Mm -hmm. it is time management time management and that's um y'all mentioned the the carving of faces in ireland that's one thing i really love about a lot of the images and backgrounds that are uh you know painted or drawn in this is there are like creepy faces in everything in this oh yeah Mm -hmm. i loved it Skulls in the clouds and yeah, you know, and in the moon, faces on the trees, and it's, it is fantastic. Yeah, everything's subtly creepy. Well, mm-hmm. and 
when you're in a ch- when you're in childhood, especially if you're a very imaginative child, and I definitely was, like on Halloween night, it's very easy to imagine that you see those things. Oh yeah. I still look at the moon and feel like there's the outline of a dragon in there. Like I look at it, I'm like, there's the moon dragon. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's really cool because it. I think the animators for this, and I think also Ray Bradbury, were just very in touch with that childhood fantasy and how it shapes how you view the world the lens that you look through and halloween is one of those times where it's it's just so magical and special because it feels like anything could happen not just to quote the tim curry song but it also feels like it, it feels like you're on the edge of the unknown in a way that's both scary and tantalizing. The yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. The barriers is, are. <laughs> that's the reason Halloween is that time of year and everything is because the veil is thin. Yeah. And that's what this whole show is about. It's mm-hmm. telling you all about all the different cultures that realized how thin a veil was at the time. Times can I say that over and over? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he- and and then, like, they all got their own traditions revolving around honoring the dead, you know? Yeah, and, and it's really also cool, too, to show, especially for kids, to see, oh, this is, there's all these different traditions, but they're kind of all coming from the same, the same place and the same intent is to connect with that, that unknown and the otherness and the darkness. Mm-hmm. And so the next, the next adventure that they go on after they leave Egypt, because Pip, manages to elude mound shroud and contain his his pumpkin basically he every time he grabs his pumpkin the pumpkin kind of whirls him into like a little tornado and right. then he he flies we, off to we another skipped place. over the fact that to get to um to get to egypt they have to construct the creepiest kite oh, i love that yes. thing it's it's made up of yeah. evil old circus posters and they're like down with it yeah. like, it's like they were scared to knock a door like half an hour in mm-hmm. in their span not our span it's a few minutes yeah. but in their timeline it's like at half an hour earlier they were afraid to knock on the door and now there's like he has these like old circus posters on an old barn literally coming to life and trying to bite at them. And then they like collect the posters and they nail it to old barn wood and string it together with barbed wire. And it's like this alive being that's like gnashing at the wind. And like, then they become the kite tail. Yep. <laughs> like, they're all just, yeah, yeah, we're down for this, whatever. Let's go on a spooky life or death situation adventure here. Yeah. I guess and I, bravery for Pip. Is yes. What, like throughout the whole thing, every time any of them scared, it's like, we got to do it for Pip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes, sometimes that's exactly how it is. There's things that you wouldn't be willing to do just on your own, but if somebody you care about needs your help or their life is on the line, then you would, go right. and do kind of scary intimidating do or die, things. you gotta get it done but yeah. it's, it's so cool because the circus animal posters are all coming to life as they're pulling them down and creating this giant kite very surreal 
Yeah. And I, I, I love the name of where they go because it's not explicitly the land of the dead and it's not explicitly the past that Moundtrad takes these kids with this kite. He calls it the undiscovered country, which is just cool and sounds mysterious as heck. So yeah. And their, their first destination is like we discussed Egypt where there's a, a feast of the dead thing going on. Um, I love that there's so many little character moments that just add life to things that are going on in this. I, 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 I think it's Pip's spirit that they're chasing after. And there's just like a ghost chilling out on a doorstep and Pip is like eating food with it. And Pip sees them to run away. And the spirit on the doorstep just keeps eating and then just disappears when he sees people coming. He's like, I'm out of here. No. Well, and they, you start to get into this kind of, formula with the story because you have each child that's dressed in a specific costume corresponds to the land or the realm that they go visit. So you have the little boy that's dressed as the mummy is sort of featured in this one. And he has a moment with Pip where he remembers and thanks him for things in their throughout their friendship and what Pip meant to him. And when they go to, um, to Stonehenge and they see Celtic traditions. The, the, the little girl who's dressed as the witch kind of takes the lead in that segment of the story. And then she right. saves Pip in a moment and thanks him for a time when he saved her. And she has this fear of heights that plays into it. So it's really nice because they take the time to show the personal relationships that this little boy had with each of his friends. Right. And, and how each one of them, goes back to a time when Pip did something great for them. Mm-hmm. And then they say, hey, Pip, I'm here to do something great for you in each segment. The witches one, because that's right after the mummies. I love the witches one when he's like explaining, yeah, these are witches. And they're like, oh, did they turn people into toads? No. Did they fly? No. <laughs> no. What did they do? Well, not really anything. <laughs> They were they were just smart and they knew how to do things (laughs) and so they're therefore they were called witches. I like that explanation. And like, and that's that that is (laughs) it's very true, but that's also peak Bradbury right there. Like that is that is such a Ray Bradbury esque thing to say. We're gonna take a quick break to hear a word from one of our sponsors for this episode. That's right, we have sponsors just for Halloween. So enjoy this message, brought to you by Beetlejuice, the bio-exorcist. Hey guys, aren't you always tired when the living come around, messing with your stuff? Well, don't worry, because Beetlejuice is there for you, the bio-exorcist. Troubled by the living? Is death a problem and not the solution? Unhappy with eternity? Having difficulty adjusting? Just call Beetlejuice. Two more times and you're there. And we're back. <laughs> and we're back. Um, yeah, so we were talking about the the Stonehenge and the, the Celtic stuff and everything. Um, and some things, like, I don't know, uh, I didn't Google them or you know, really do much research at all. But there was certain things they talked about, like in the Egypt 
part they oh, talked the about like bringing their ancestors out of like sarcophaguses and hanging out with them and like during the witch scene they were like oh they make brooms during this time and like the enchant like the brooms are special i'm not sure those things were real well or if it was just kind of yeah. bradburyisms that he kind of made little special things about you I know. think it's probably some historical fiction because uh, as far as I could tell Egypt did not have a an official feast of the dead where they did brought out dead ancestors from everything I ever read and learned it was they had such a reverence for the dead that they wanted them to have a good afterlife so they wouldn't want to disturb them which was right. the impression I always got is that they buried belongings and beloved pets and all these things if you could afford that type of fancy right. burial and i think even if you couldn't i think you're still not digging up your family members and your ancestors in that right. scenario and hanging out with them and the broom thing brooms definitely were used for different things in some celtic and pagan traditions but not necessarily like oh we're gonna make brooms on a special night i don't think that's right. i think i think some liberties were taken without having a bunch of research in front of me, which we didn't do, which, you know, sorry guys, it's a cartoon. <laughs> I said fuck on that, but um, there was, was a deeper dive than I was going to go do, but just based on things I've been exposed to through school and traveling and here and there, I, I definitely think he was embellishing a bit. I mean, there are feasts held in honor of the dead. There's, you know, in China, they have the festival of the hungry ghosts and, you know, with, uh, Day of the Dead, which we'll get to when uh, we talk about the Mexico segment, there's a tradition of spending time in the cemetery and feasting right. in honor, but nobody's digging anybody up. Right. No. Um, and I, that, that is the only problem I have with the, why well, one of the few problems I have with this um, is that it is, you know, it's, 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 kind of framed as being like, this guy's going to educate these kids. And so the assumption right. is maybe these are real facts, maybe, right. um, but they're not. There's a lot of, like Drew was saying, kind of Bradburyisms and embellishments um, he and historical. He, he takes a lot of liberties. And I, I understand that it's in the name of whimsy, but I also have mixed feelings about, you know, actual historical cultures and people's traditions being um, right. maybe misrepresented, misrepresented in yeah. this way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I, so I, it's, it's, it's fun, but also as a white person, you know, maybe not super cool for this, this to be happening. So, <laughs> right. um, but yeah, besides that though, I mean, like you said, it's, it's a fun cartoon and I, uh, you know, it's that sort of thing, I think captures the spirit of the like, Midwestern upbringing and kind of exotic, uh, the, the, the feeling of like strange and exotic history that kids might feel. So maybe I'm willing to forgive it a little bit for that, but yeah, it, it definitely happens in this. Oh, sure. Well, um, and, and Ray Bradbury's of the generation where you almost, you know, you said exotic. Well, there was the whole art and musical movement of exotica, which was, it's, it's a really interesting genre that we're actually both big fans of, Drew and myself, but you have to take it with a grain of salt because it is a, white cultures lens of what seems like exotic cultures to them. So it's this art form that's based on 
white people's fanciful interpretations of what they think other cultures are like or what they wish they were. You know, right. it's very Escape, much a fantasy. Escapism. Yeah, but it, it definitely borrows from oh, here and there from real, real people. It's not ever like meant to be presented as real, but I could see how it could create confusion and and that could cause problems. You know, it's not necessarily a harmless pursuit. Right. So yeah, it's, it's then if then we go to uh, France and they visit that they actually assist in the building of Notre Dame. And, right. and it's supposed to connect with the kid that's dressed like a monster because there's gargoyles that are meant to be called to Notre Dame. So there's a really fanciful, fantasy version of how Notre Dame came together and how there came to be gargoyles on the church. And I have to say it was also a little bit um, emotional watching this happen because of the state that Notre Dame is in after a fire, which just seemed unfathomable that this, you know, this famous cathedral has been here for years and years, but it happens, you know, things, things burn, buildings don't last forever. And, it was interesting watching it be constructed, knowing the situation that it's in of reconstruction. Being reconstructed now. again. Maybe those kids need to go step into the air and, and <laughs> rebuild towers. Yeah, and that was like <laughs> there was that moment where it's um because they've gone through all these things. Like I was saying before, it's like they were afraid to knock on a doorknob, but now it's like they're doing all these crazy things and and one upping death as they go Mm -hmm. and like at this point like notre dame's not finished and they're climbing the stairs to go meet pip he of course is ethereal now and can just float up there and like they get to a top of stairs that are incomplete and they're like the round trout's just like oh just keep stepping and the stones will build around you and they're like what yeah you (laughs) can totally no no just (laughs) just go ahead and take one more step you know, and then it'll come up to meet you, and the kid doesn't want to do it, so the other kid pushes him. And it's <laughs> like, I sure hope it's real. Yeah. It reminded me of um in the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade film where he's going through the trials to get to the grail. There's oh, a that scene, scene always bugged always me. Is, it's because then he like he throws the sand and scatters it and it's like, oh, it was a thing the whole time. Like, the why didn't you just illusion. throw the sand in the first place to test it? But you had to have the faith. That's yep. the whole thing. Is both those faith. things is you have to have faith. I guess I don't have enough faith. I just, I want something I can see first. That would be terrifying. Yeah. yeah. But it, and, and Pip is turned into a gargoyle at one point. He's sort of, you know, he's, he's a cat at Stonehenge and he's, um, right. and a, a mummified sarcophagus in the Egypt segment. And so he has a sort of a, his soul kind of takes the shape throughout the story of wherever they are and relates to it as well, which is right. interesting. And so, yeah, he's stuck being a gargoyle and gurgling water coming out of his mouth until uh, the monster kid comes and pries the pumpkin loose from the gargoyle. And uh, that starts the ball rolling again. Yeah, but you definitely start to... Pip's energy seems to be waning and his spirit is fading. Right. And they follow him to Mexico, which is probably... My favorite part? I don't know. I just yeah. thought I love I love the 
colors and the day of the dead celebration. I think, I think it's a really wonderful tradition and I think it's a really beautiful way to embrace death as a part of life and to kind of feel close to your, your lost loved ones. Like the appeal seems really, it just really makes sense to me. And it seems like a much healthier approach to death as a culture than the one that, that we have in the U S for sure. But the, 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 the abject terror and don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, and it's not making light of death. It's, it's definitely, you know, acknowledging that it's this unknown passage and that you've lost somebody, but you're spending time honoring that memory and spending time potentially with where they've been buried and laid to rest. And I think that's really beautiful. Although then Ray Bradbury puts in a bit of a zombie twist towards the end of that segment. He does. Yeah. It's interesting. And, um, but I also, it's, it's, there's this, they go into a catacomb and zombies start coming to life because there's basically mass graves for people who couldn't afford to maintain a plot. I suppose the families couldn't. And all of these zombies look, you know, just they're dressed in their tattered everyday clothes and everything. And I actually felt like very, I felt sympathetic for them. I felt like, oh, well, they're just sad and to right. be trapped down here. That's not necessarily chilling. something to be feared, but they have to. But something spooky needs to happen. So, you know. they have, yeah. yeah, they have to get past the zombies to save, to save Pip. And yeah, you know, do something brave. His friend they, dressed as a skeleton is in charge of this one. Right. Yeah. They're literally, literally just victims of economic oppression down here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not like they're trying to eat you or anything. They Although just, I thought it was funny that like he, they all had to like overcome their fears and stuff. And then his at the end was just literally the fear of death. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you have to overcome the fear of death now. And I don't know that anyone really truly overcomes right, the and fear like, of death until they actually but die. <laughs> in the scene, the way he, he does it is like, just close your eyes and go right. through it. Just don't look at it. Don't just don't face it. <laughs> yeah. Which you're supposed to face the fear. It's like, like you have to go face death to save pit. And then it's like, how are you going to do that? Just close your eyes and don't face it. <laughs> just don't look. We were watching. The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episodes, and there's one where it's like the attack of the 50 foot commercial oh, right. ma- mascots, and then they end up with just, just don't, don't look. look. Just don't look. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he he gets through the zombies by just not looking and running straight forward as they collapse around him. And then, lo and behold, that was for nothing because Pip's gonna die. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yeah, well, we we learned way before this that he had um he had appendicitis and they caught it late, so he had I'm guessing probably it ruptured, which right. is when it gets really toxic and serious. And and it, there are kids that have died from that, mm-hmm. and it's a pretty scary situation. And and so they're told by Monk Shroud or by Mount Shroud that he is that they're too late and that Pip's time is up. And right. And it's, he's going to go off with his jack-o'-lantern pumpkin soul mm-hmm. head. And he's won, you know. He tricked them into everything. But wait, here comes, is it, it's Tom Skelton? Like, I think so, skeleton. yeah. T- Tom Skellington. Right. <laughs> he, um, he comes and he says, well, if all you care about is having, you know, this time 
the soul. It's like, then take a year of my life, you know, but just at the end. So not so bad, really. It's a pretty good deal. No, but I, I, I like the way How young Pip is. Mm-hmm. I, I like the way that Moundtrout frames it, though, because he's like, well, think about what you're offering here, because when you're 60 and, you know, and you know your day is going to come and I take a year off the end of your life, then you might really regret this. You're not going to be young forever, kid. Right. Um, and I and I like the like your day will come. Yeah, he's he, he's gleefully being like, oh, you sure about day, this? Now your day is going to come a year early. Yeah. You know, and then the other kids, like, while he's saying, I don't know, you know, Mount Trout is hemming and hawing over this deal. Then the other kids start piping up that they'll also give a year of their life for Pip. And so it's a very touching moment where it they is. all agree that a lifetime with Pip is better than one year, you know, at the end, basically. Right. It was an easy choice to make for all of them. Well, you never know. They might get lucky. That last year might be they're 102 and a lot of physical <laughs> things don't work anymore. And that's mm-hmm. okay. You know, there wasn't much to stick around for. They might be ready by then. That's what you hope for anyway. Yeah. <laughs> You're ready. But yeah, yeah. this is this the, is just, oh, sorry. You go ahead. It kind of wraps it up because then um, everything kind of like they whirl around and get, you know, back to their time, their land. And then they all go straight to Pip's house to see, you know, if everything's okay. And that's when they find Pip in the second story window looking out and they have a little conversation with Pip. Pip thanks them for everything that they did. And they said, oh, they didn't do nothing. But then Pip said, well, I had these dreams. <laughs> they actually were, you know, they were fighting for Pip's life. And they traded for Pip's life, and he came through. And having an adventure that they'll never forget. Oh, yeah. they're Never, ever forget. So, yeah, unless anybody has anything else they would want to add, I, I would say also it's it's a little bit too new for our format for this show, but if you grew up with this and you liked this or you watched this recently and you decide that you really like this, I'm going to go out there and recommend that you check out over the garden wall as well. I I was going to say that too, because this it's beautiful. Very similar. Yeah, yeah. Very similar. I I think over the garden wall is there I you know, I it, I don't think I could pick between the two. They're 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 different beasts and they approach the same thing from different angles. Um but they have very, very similar feelings, yes. It's a longer it's a bit of a longer uh because it's an animated series, so it's in segments, or you can watch it in one long block, but it's a, it's a little bit longer, but it's it's not that's not a, a downside, you know, if you want more of it. It's really beautiful, it's a little bit surreal, and it's dealing with very similar themes. Well, well overall, it was a great movie. Yeah. It is. And actually, I, I wanted to say that since you reference Over the Garden Wall, to me, over the Garden Wall feels like that if Terry Gilliam had directed the Halloween tree, that's what it might have turned into. Well, I could kind of see that. Sure. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense to me. I think that will conclude our part one of our Halloween episodes for 2022. We hope you enjoy this. We hope you'll go and check out the Halloween tree, either in the film format and potentially maybe even the book. I know I'm going to go check out the book. And we hope you're having a wonderful, spooky season. We thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us 
for our next episode on the Midnight Hour, which is currently available on YouTube. Join us again next time on the Haunted Davenport. Davenport.